So your question about product research and all that stuff uh, and, and finding product market fit, you know, would be kind of in that zero to one stage, which is, isn't something that we as an agency do. I don't think an agency can help you in that stage at all. Your money is going to get 10x returns if you invest it in yourself. You read books, you take courses, you understand it. Like I believe that you should understand the stuff at a top level before you hire. Get into a chat with someone who's both a podcaster and business owner is an uncommon treat. So as is my contractual obligation, I have to notify you that this episode gets a bit meta. All right, with that out of the way, Chase Clymer of Electric Eye Agency breaks down many of the key metrics and procedures his agency uses to push for success. We talk about the major KPIs they base their project work on, the stages of growth he sees businesses undergo, and their signature brand scaling framework. All tried and tested, so... Plenty of knowledge packed into this hour. Hope you enjoy. Chase Clymer, it is good to have you here on Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm feeling fantastic. This is uh, the first podcast I'm recording after uh, being on vacation. So I'm ready to get to it. Oh, fantastic. Bit of housekeeping for my audience. Those of you who are listening in sequence will know that three episodes ago, I had to be in the card room. I got to be back here today because I had to make a decision between Echo or... Hey, what do you do with that paddle? I told you, you do that one last. So between those two options, I decided to go with Echo. So housekeeping out of the way. Um, it's, it's great to have you here. I've had a chance to look into uh, what you do, what you're up to, but the economics tradition is to always let the guests answer that question. So tell us, what do you do? What are you up to these days? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Chase. I am the co-founder of an agency called Electric Guy. Uh, we're based out of Columbus, Ohio, but we're fully remote. Um, and also on top of the agency, I am the host of Honest E-Commerce, a podcast uh, that is in the same realm as yours. Uh, we're trying to bring insights and value uh, to people in the e-commerce space. We're definitely getting a lot more into uh, the kind of scaling aspects of a brand. You found product market fit and like, how do you get to that next level? Um, so that's kind of what all the content is around our podcast. And that's kind of the types of clients that we help at the agency. Once in a while, I get to have um, uh, you know meta questions sometimes when I talk to fellow podcasters or fellow interviewers, and I can't help myself. So I wanted to, to ask you a meta question as well. Like I said before we started recording, I've lost track of how many uh, I've done so far. I think around like 140, somewhere around there. You know, like the first few episodes, they tend to be the ones that stick out the most because it's so new and fresh and uh, understanding the structure, getting a feel for even how to to do the show. And then, you know, 100 or so episodes go by and... I've, I'm at the point now where I don't think I could name all of the people that I've had on the program off the top of my head. That would take some some digging to do. I tend to think of it like, you know, my, my brain is a bucket and the information that I'm receiving is water filling the bucket. And it overflows quite a bit because there's only so many things that I can retain in my mind. I'm keen on hearing about your, your experience in this realm is how... Um, each episode has managed to continue to resonate with you, uh, how you've been able to you know, keep the information somewhere um, available for you to come back and extract to, and maybe just comment on like the, the, the bittersweet part of, of doing this, which is you know, each guest is at their most significant when you get to talk to them. Just to be very honest with everyone listening, starting the podcast was the best business decision we made uh, for our agency uh, and probably for my pro- professional career. It's opened a lot of doors for me personally and for the agency. It has been, you know, it's done a lot of stuff in, in terms of content marketing, in terms of uh, making partnerships that much better, in terms of cementing us as subject matter experts in the field and landing new clients, honestly. Uh, the podcast has been amazing. Uh, 
let's go back two and a half years to the first episode. I had no idea what I was doing. Those episodes are still fun because I had really smart guests on. So they kind of knew what I didn't when it came to like doing an interview, doing a podcast. Um, You know, it's funny. I was a lot more structured and a lot more rigid at the beginning. And now I kind of have just no care in the world because I've done it so many times. And I go in just like, this is going to be great just because I know how to keep a conversation going. I know how to ask correct questions, how to follow up. Um, so it, it, as it, the podcast is now on episode, like with bonus episodes, I think we're well into 200 of just the ones we've recorded, but, and then I've also been guests on a bunch of them too. Uh, at this point, it's just like, you know, I go with my gut and I know where the conversation is going to kind of go. And we're, we're kind of doing a lot of the same stuff over and over now. We're, we're interviewing a lot more founders specifically. Um, so it, that's a pretty fun story arc to, to tell. It's just the hero's journey with a different mm-hmm. band at the helm. So it's, it's pretty easy. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I answered your question. But that's that's what came to mind. Sure, well, I mean, I'm I'm happy to hear all of that. Um, but I guess to to resummarize a question, it really has to do with about you know all of the information collected. Is have you found that you know it's almost like a buffet where you know you're you're able, you're able to supply all of this uh, all of the the information, and then it's about you know extracting what's what's meaningful to you. I mean, to you to use my my experience uh, as an example, we did have a game streamer on so far, just the one game streamer on, and you know, being a massive nerd myself, we ended up becoming good friends, and now I'm a guest in his podcast uh, every week, and 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 you know, and we get along a great deal. So. Like you were saying with doors opening, that door swung wide open. And now I have this whole new group of friends, this whole new um, uh, community to to be a part of. And that's one of the most significant takeaways uh, from doing the show so far. So not everything gets to have that. Let me let me try asking you like this is what do you do to really try to make each episode count in the in the big picture? I'm pretty particular a lot more particular now on who that I have on the podcast. Uh, I want to make sure that they are going to bring a unique insight to the show and that they're, you know, they're further enough along in their journey to where, honestly, you just got to be one step ahead of somebody for someone to like, just pull so many insights from your journey and not make mistakes. So it's not like I'm putting, you know, I'm, I'm not saying people have to be like, you know, doing tens of million dollars a year or anything like, but they gotta, you know, they gotta be off the ground. Um, and it's just, it's so every e-commerce brand is like unique. Someone the other day said they're, they're like a fingerprint. I think it was Ross Alcorn from shop creative files talking to him yesterday. Uh, he was like, yeah, every e-commerce store is like a fingerprint. It's always unique. So it's honestly, every episode is just, it's unique and there's always a different perspective. And honestly, sometimes the content is the same. But I even know from personal experience, I needed to hear same things like three or four times to to get it. And so I'm I know that our audience needs to hear these things from a different perspective, from a different person, two or three times before they're like, okay, people are always talking about this. Maybe I should do this thing. Yeah, and and touching on that, uh, what I've also found as well to be encouraging is always hearing uh, different opinions on uh, on certain subject matters. So, for instance, if we talk about the product testing part of uh, running an e-commerce store, I have I have heard a number of different takes on it. You know, you have uh, one school of thought, which is you know, if you test a product out, give it a shot. If it's not working out, you kill it and you move on to the next one. Um, I've had uh, the counter argument to that, which is you know, you maybe you're just not looking at it the right way. Maybe there is a different way that you can approach uh, marketing this product. So you should continue to expand on your testing and see if maybe there's a different market for it. And then another school of thought, which was you know, touching on that as well, which is 
maybe your issue is that you're not niche enough. Maybe you need to target a specific user of the product rather than all the potential users of the product. So to, to, to contextualize that for you, the getting my own skin in the game too, you know, after listening to so many great stories, it's hard not to want to do it myself. And the product that we're that I'm working on are drawers that you can put underneath the the, the table. It gives you more f- uh, functionality. And and you know, re- and recently, uh, I guess uh, named. Um, actually, I'm blanking on the name. I, I hate when I do that. All right, it'll come back to me. So, anyways, what he said was, you know, your 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 targeting is too general. You need to be way more specific with who you're going after, and, and that stuck out to me too. So, I, I think one of the one of the beauties of it is. Even if you hear a lot of people giving you the same advice, conversely, countervailing advice or conflicting advice is also significantly helpful too, because what it shows is there is never one approach to finding the right option. What you want to do is uh, find the approach that actually does work out for you. And then I think that turns into a catalyst for people to move forward. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There isn't there isn't one way to do it. And that's definitely something that I've learned from doing all these interviews is like, yeah, all these people have different approaches. But I will say the one thing that they all had in common is they found what worked for them and then they doubled down, they tripled down on that one thing and just kept kept optimizing it until they couldn't anymore. And then they'd start to try other things. Uh, that's usually what was separating like winning brands from ones that were kind of flailing. Right, right. Uh, doubling down. And I, I get that. So here's the here's the next thing that I have that I was uh, curious to ask you about in regards to your podcast is uh, I, I like the branding of it. It's you know the no BS approach. You know, cut the fluff. Um, gets to to the good stuff. Uh, and I'm and I'm tempted to to bite, which is what in your experience have you found to be the BS? Um, I mean, even for my own sake, I'm like, oh, there's probably some fluff in here somewhere. I could stand to 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 look into that and figure out where it's coming from. Well, first of all, saying that tagline on the podcast, I just updated that probably the the beginning, I don't know, like three, six months ago. Time is flying. This year is going by so fast. But saying that was so hard with that because it was like the alliteration on it was really hard to like punctuate and say when I was like taking that ad take. So it it was funny that you actually heard that. Um, But I mean, many moons ago, uh, when the agency first got started, uh, there was this weird kind of underbelly of YouTube and this connotation of Shopify of this whole get rich quick mentality behind it all. It was a lie. It still is a lie. And it is, you know, there's only one way to make a million dollars and that's work really, really hard. You know, you can point out all the things that you want. And I'll just tell you why that that's, you know, not the case for everybody. That's just a fluke. That's just like an an, an abnormality. And you can't like assume that you're special. If you want to do it, you got to put in the work. So anyways, uh, that's kind of what was the catalyst for the uh, the, the podcast was. Um, I mean, you can still go on YouTube, type in Dropshipping Millionaire, and you'll find a bunch of garbage. Yeah, I mean, t- to this day, I don't know if I... Uh, we, I don't think we've had a... We, we've spoken to any the guru group that um, everybody seems to, to target. I mean, they, you know, they have their own community. They have their own uh, way of doing things. And I mean, it's unfortunate that they're there to, because it creates a negative stigma towards the remaining of the community. And even for me too, um, I, I entered you know, e- the e-commerce space with this position and even I had a, a lot of skepticism towards it. Like, is this, is, you know, this seems too good to be true. Is it, you know, is it really in the hands of any individual to, to make it work? And then I got my first paycheck and I thought, okay, you know what? Never mind. We're fine. We're good. Yeah. I mean, I, I oftentimes come off sounding like I think drop, drop shipping is like a scam and that's not what I mean. Uh, I, I know I know people making money with dropshipping currently, uh, but they're doing it in a very specific, tactical, niched way. Um, that isn't the way you know where it's like I'm going to teach you how to set up and make money in 15 minutes with a Shopify store. Like that's you're never going to do it that way because 
there's tens of thousands of people doing that a month as well. Like the competition is so wild on anything you're going to find on like those apps like Orbelo or anything like that. Uh, but if you can think about it and actually find a niche in the market and then you are playing the long game, like you can still find success in drop shipping. I just think that uh, what attracts people to e-commerce sometimes is the glitz and glam and the money and like get rich quick and like the working is easy and make your own hours type stuff, which I, I really want to just blow that wide open and be like, if that's what's getting you into this, all you're going to do is like lose a bunch of money on Facebook ads and on whatever course you buy. And you're not going to have a good time. So quick record keeping uh, Jonathan Ung. Uh, once again, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I dropped his name. Anyway, so so back on track. It's a motivating factor for a lot of people and it's appealing. And anybody who thinks it's uh, too good to be true is, is accurate. But I do want to uh, take a moment to um, you know explore what is the true motivating factor. And, and, it's, and it's corny, but I really think it, it comes down to the desire for freedom. Um, and I think for a lot of people, you know, money is just the means to uh, achieve that freedom. And I've tried to consider what is a comparable uh, method to it. And I don't think it gets any better than entrepreneurship. Uh, it really doesn't. Because once you get to that point where you can start delegating tasks and you do have control of your own hours, you do have control over, you know, where you want to be and, and what you want to do and how you want to branch out. I can't think of a, of a more of a more freeing uh, method, you know, short of meeting aliens and and, and discovering all this new technology that actually does free up all of our time. But um, from your experience, what have you found to be the true catalyst that has uh, motivated people to make it work in, uh, in, in, in this space? I mean, I just want to agree with you that entrepreneurship is like the coolest thing ever. Uh, I'm, I'm over here like telling my friends to quit their jobs and like follow their dreams and be like, dude, you can do it. Like I'm, I believe in, I believe in it so much. And I, I have met people that they themselves will say, I'm an idiot and I have an amazing business because it's not that hard. You know what I mean? It's, it's stuff they should be keep teaching in high school, honestly. Like entrepreneurship is awesome. But uh, to answer your question, what are the commonalities uh, that I see in people that are finding success in e-commerce? And I, it's a passion about solving a problem. It's a passion about their product being the best that it can. And above all, it's being passionate about being... Uh, the best like they can to their customers. They're, they put their customers on a pedestal. So well, one of the things that you mentioned is with your business. I don't think everybody that, that you're, you're working with, all of your clients are drop shippers per se. Is that right? Like some of them may be drop shippers, but not everybody? Uh, actually, none of our clients are drop shippers. And uh, it's not that we have anything against it. It just doesn't use... The margins are too thin to afford what we do is the, the way I can describe it. Okay. So yeah, so I, I was wondering about that. So then um, what I like to ask then instead is... What are the, the the business models, or what is the I guess the manufacturing method? Is it people who are say you know they started by manufacturing something in their own house in their own basement, and they found their way to a warehouse, or and they're doing manufacturing out of plant? Most of our clients are kind of like experiencing this in their business. They've got product market fit. They're doing a couple hundred grand a year. Uh, you know, they're not far away from doing a million dollars, and they've been doing it all themselves. Maybe a few trusted partners. You know, the team is small, like less than five usually. Uh, and they're wearing a dozen hats at a time. They, you know, they're they're bopping in and out of the business, and they're kind of like, you know, what I've got this to this point. Like, I we need to bring in some people that actually know what they're doing, and that's where we come in. Um, and it, it usually is a, a lot of work on the website, uh, and an effort to increase the conversion rate, and an effort to increase the average order value. And then once the website's in an amazing place, we're going to turn up the gas by increasing traffic. You know, more sessions, better retention marketing, better targeting on paid. 
Um, and you know, it's a pretty simple framework that we operate on. Uh, we call it the brand scaling framework. Uh, but it, it does the business dude. It, it, it really helps these people cook and it's very simple to understand. And all the other cool KPIs that you're going to throw at me, like, what about this? What about this? I'll be like, this is how they play it all. It all just makes sense. And it's funny. We've been doing this thing since day one and it's just evolved into something that I can name over the last couple of years. All of our clients usually hold an inventory. Um, they've got, you know, some flagship products. They've got product market fit. They usually got a funnel that's working for them. Maybe not most optimized, but they've got a real business. You know what I mean? This is their full-time gig usually. Um, it's not something that they're doing part-time. One of the things that I wanted to ask you as well, um, and to be, you know, for uh, for my own sake, I wasn't uh, entirely sure. You know, in, in this space, we do talk to a lot of people in in the dropshipping realm. So, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, was the product research uh, portion of it. Now, again, that wasn't bearing in mind that at least uh, some of it was related to dropshipping, but that's okay. We can still ask this question anyways. I would say that you know these businesses they they do have. Um, uh, a great deal of investment and a lot of stake in, in their product. And once they're they're working with you at that point, it's uh, they've they found their market fit. There's some security to it, and now it's about the the expansion. So I know client confidentiality in full effect. What has been the the research method for them? Is it as uh, straightforward as them even testing the product on themselves and saying, "Hey, actually, I kind of like this. This works for me. Maybe it'll work for others." I can shed some light on that, but I will have to kind of preface this with like, so I, I like to view businesses as in kind of like three stages of growth, right? So there's like zero to one, that's your startup phase. You're trying to find product market fit. Then you got like one, like, you know, one to two is like your scaling phase. And then above that is like you're in uh, your enterprise. You're just crushing it. Like you're now you're worried about like, how do I leverage my tax incentives and like how to, you know, do the money, money magic to make things work better for you. Like that's a whole different game. So we kind of hang out in that scaling phase. Um, so your question about product research and all that stuff uh, and, and finding product market fit, you know, would be kind of in that zero to one stage, which is, isn't something that we as an agency do. And then I also believe that I don't think an agency can help you in that fit stage at all. Honestly, I think your buddies, your money is going to get 10 X returns. If you invest it in yourself, you read books, you take courses, you understand it. You don't have to be the best Facebook guy ever, but if you understand how it works, you can have a way better conversation with a Facebook marketing expert or with an agency or with a consultant or a freelancer, whomever you're hiring. Like I believe that you should understand the stuff at a top level before you hire. Uh, but going back to kind of that zero to one stage, like all you got to do is, Iterate on your messaging, iterate on your offer, try to sell your product that you believe in. Um, but your question about like kind of where are the where are these people finding their ideas? Um, actually pull I'll pull some of this from the podcast. I kind of ask this question all the time on the podcast, like, where'd you get the idea for the brand? And it's usually usually a flagship product and they experienced the problem in their life and they tried to find a solution, couldn't find a solution, and they said, Let's do it. And you know, then they they started. They started kind of asking the market if they had the same problem, if they liked the solution that they were, you know, that they were proposing, um, and kind of iterating upon it from there before launching kind of their their flagship product or or their their MVP of their product. Uh, sometimes through Kickstarter, sometimes through just launching the brand and and getting going. You know, I I've interviewed a bunch of people on the podcast. They're like, yeah, we launched our brand to crickets, no sales. Like, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, uh, but. They just kept at it and they figured it out over time. Um, these days, though, with clients that are working with us, oftentimes they're asking their customers, like, what do you want? Like, what do you want to see from us? Like, hey, you really like our t-shirts. Like, you want to see a hoodie? Do you want to see a jacket? Do you want to see jeans? You know, and their their customers are kind of 
telling them what they want to see from it. You know, with with, with other products, you know, uh, in, not in the clothing space, it's pretty much the same concept. It's like, what what else would you like to see? Like, you guys bought X, like, would Y make sense for you? Or we're thinking about Z. Uh, so once you kind of have customers, they're your number one resource. Just ask them what what's next. Interestingly, one of the things that I uh, do too is, you know, I like to check out, say, like Instagram posts or, or or Twitter. And you know, one of the things that you had mentioned on your Twitter is that you are um, even in, you know, interviewing some of your clients as well, just to uh, learn from it. Just as you say, you know, they're they're t- asking their customers uh, what they think, and in, in that same way, you know, you're doing just to make sure that I'm clear on it. You know, you're doing customer interviews for your clients as well. Is that right? We've been working on our client avatar for a long time. So this is kind of really agency insider, like, you know, inside baseball here. Uh, So for our agency, we've been really focused on like, who do we do our best work for? And it's that kind of that scaling brand that I was talking about earlier. Like they've got product market fit, but they don't know, they don't understand how to break through a million dollars a year. They have no idea how to get to $10 million a year. And that's like what we do best is like we partner with those people and we kind of own the nerdy stuff until they can start to bring it in house. Like getting fired because they're bringing stuff in house is like awesome to us. That's what we want. In doing that, I've been interviewing some of our clients and like finding in their words, like what the problems were that we were solving. And not only is it helping us like understand, uh, you know, the value that we're bringing to our clients, it's like the way that we should be talking about it and in, in kind of our, our copy on our website and, and in our marketing and stuff like that. Client interviews are like just a silver bullet. Just go, it, it doesn't matter what business you're in, ask your best cl- customers, like, what did we do? Why'd you pick us? What could we do better? You know, what would you say to someone that was thinking about working with us? Like, just those four questions would like give you so much to go on. And this uh, leads into really one of my favorite questions to ask on the program. It's about, the the ability for that data to be collected in aggregate you know you can if you were to say just interview one person you would get one set of answers but you know tying in what we described earlier you know you have you can you can have a lot of different takes on it so when you've talked to you know a great deal of, of your customers and you've collected all of their answers what have you been noticing in aggregate or have you noticed patterns or trends or consistencies uh, across uh, some of what they're saying and I don't just mean specifically about you know what they're saying about your business I'm curious to hear about that too but I'm also I, I'm curious to hear about you know they're the consistent with the issues that they're having and what patterns keep occurring uh, across um, uh, multiple clients yeah uh, well I mean, I, I guess I, I only got the insights with our agency clients to share, really, because we don't do these sort of insights for our clients currently. Um, but you know, it, it's surprising to hear just getting back to people in a timely manner was like number like they were like, "You guys are on it. You respond. Like you don't have the answer, but you say like you just let me know that you've seen it. Like that. That's you know that's worth it to us." Um, and then another thing that came up a few times was like this concept of people were saying they were Shopify experts and they just weren't. And you know, we eat, sleep, and <laughs> we eat, sleep, and breathe that stuff. Like we've been in the partner program forever. Like we have, you know, people on speed dial we can call when things go up, go rise. Like we are ingrained in that community. Uh, so it was it was fun to kind of see that be validated as well. Okay, so I wanted I want to get back to the brand scaling framework because that is you know one of the uh, one of the key uh, factors to you know what it is that you do, uh, and this is the kind of thing I imagine this can take maybe it could take hours, maybe it can take uh, like a like maybe maybe you can explain it in ten seconds, but I'll keep it quick. Uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of like that that middle territory, you know, like uh, not not too concise, but you know we also have, we can't keep it forever. But yeah, I it's something I definitely want to hear about and how how it functions. It doesn't matter what you do; it's you're selling a service, you're selling a product, you know, physical, digital, whatever. What drives people to purchase is getting value out of that investment, right? 
So um, what drives people to work with an agency usually is an increase in top line revenue, more sales, more customers, more whatever, right? It's just more. They want more for whatever they give you. Um, so we kind of distill all of our projects down to three KPIs, right? And this is kind of what the brand scaling framework is all about. So the KPIs we care about, average order value, conversion rate, and sessions. Uh, we use those terms because those are the terms that are used in the back end of Shopify. Um, and I'll kind of dig in a bit more as to why those are important now. Sure. So you take, let's just say you look at those numbers for the last 90 days, last 30 days, whatever. Um, if you multiply them all together, you're going to get really, really close to what your sales were for that time period, right? Because it's all aggregates of, of, of the averages. Um, so as you use that as your baseline, let's dig into each KPI and talk about like what we could do there, right? So the first one that we look at in tandem, like the first two we kind of look at in tandem because it's basically we're going to improve the website. So the first two KPIs are average order value and conversion rate, right? So there's usually with these brands that we're working with, they're on some premium theme that they've been on forever that they've installed and uninstalled about 150 apps. And their code looks like spaghetti and it's very slow. Uh, and right now, like the huge thing is with Online Store 2.0 coming out, they're like, how do I use that? And we're like, well, good luck with all this weird nonsense in here from trying 18 review apps. So usually, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into, you know, possibly cleaning it up nine times out of 10. It's like, we're going to start from scratch because it's actually quicker to do that. Also, here's a surprise for everybody. I'm going to go on a tangent here. It's usually easier to start from a brand new theme than it is to fix something that's broken. It's like, it's honestly like asking someone to fix like your leaky shower, but not letting them like take the stuff off the walls and actually fix the problem. Uh, you got to like go down to the bare stuff and like rebuild it again if you want to do it right. Um, so anyways, first two things we were tackling, average order value, conversion rate. So there's a lot of stuff you can do to increase conversion rate. Honestly, I can't give you tactics here because it's really case by case. The things you really want to look at, speed. Uh, your site speed is super important for conversion. Um, your 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 uh, the structure of your navigation. So searching, filtering. You want to be you want to get me as your customer to your product as fast as possible. And you know if you're one thing I notice all the time is if you have like kind of higher SKU count, like you should let me find only the black products or only the products that are in my size or only the products that solve this problem. Like you need to have your SKU your filtering and your sorting on point. And Shopify kind of put that out now with online store 2.0, but it's still probably a custom feature to do it the right way. Um, but you know, honestly, you want to shorten the customer journey. You want to get them from the homepage to the collection page, to the product page, to the checkout as quickly as possible. Like that is, That's going to help your conversion rate go up. Uh, and then just answer your customers' questions before they have them on in that journey. That's going to increase your conversion rate. right? So that's really strategic ways to do it. it the, the tactics are just so different between each brand, each theme, each design. So I wish I could give you guys like, go do these four things, but I, I can't, you know what I mean? I have to see what you guys are working with. Um, and then, so that's kind of the first thing is conversion rate. The second thing is average order value, right? So this comes down to your offer. It's your, your offer kind of also plays into your conversion rate, but uh, it's your, your upsells, your cross sells, uh, and your bundles are pretty much the only ways that you're going to increase your average order value. And so there's a lot of places to do that. Uh, you know, I, I spent a good afternoon about two or three weeks ago looking through, I want to say like three or four dozen Shopify stores, like high-end stores doing millions of dollars a year um, and uh, kind of seeing what they were doing. So the, the commonalities that I saw is a lot of upsells are starting to take place. First place you'll see them is on the product page. They also are usually... Bundles are usually inter introduced on the homepage to kind of let people know that they exist. 
Um, but something I saw that was a lot like kind of common would be like if you had a single other product, having an upsell on the product page to like a higher amount of that product or like a bundle of that product exists. You know, there's always pop-ups that come up as well. You know, that's one way to do it. Uh, I see a lot of people putting now upsells and cross-sells within the cart. There's a lot of cool stuff that you can do now. If you know what you're doing, you can actually do upsells and cross-sells within the checkout itself and post-purchase. All of those can help increase your average order value. Uh, but with all of those things, don't just go out and install every app to do an upsell because the way to do upsells and cross-sells correctly is you need to have the experience seem like it should be there because people like to buy, but they don't like to be sold. So if this is like a jarring experience and it takes me out of the transaction mindset to be like, what the heck's going on here? This doesn't look on brand. This They're just asking for more money. You're probably going to see a decrease in conversion rate. Um, but if you do it on brand and, you know, in a way that isn't, you know, ugly or like jarring, like you're going to see an increase. And that really comes down to a strategic approach. And like that one's even far more difficult to help, like give you specific tactics to do uh, than conversion rate, because it's like, it really depends on your, your products. Like you got a $1,500 couch, like no one's buying two couches. You, you can't do a BOGO deal there. Uh, but if you're doing, you know, t-shirts like, all right, you know, that probably is something to where a BOGO would work. Uh, so it, it's really specific down to like the types of products that you're selling to like, what's the strategy behind that. And then you start to, you know, iterate things. And then again, you got to kind of test on them all. Uh, and there's the bad news bears and all that stuff is your website's never done. You're going to be testing all this stuff forever and like keep trying new things to try to make it perform better than the old thing. So anyways, that's the big spiel on the first two KPIs of the brand scaling framework, average order value and conversion rate. So we, we do all that work there, which is usually in building an awesome website or taking a website that's pretty sweet and making it a lot better. So that's like the first part of it. And then the second part of it is now let's pour gas on that fire. Let's increase the sessions. Uh, and that usually comes down to you know owned marketing or retention marketing. Those words are being thrown around a lot lately, which basically means email and SMS. So you got you better have all your automations in place. <laughs> like if you don't stop listening right now, go set up all your automations. You know, marketing automation is awesome, and it just will help you, you know, print money while you're sleeping. Uh, but then on top of that, you need a pretty good strategy for your campaigns on all that stuff. Um, and so you kind of you need to make sure you have that for like your own marketing or your retention marketing, which is like email and SMS again. And then also you got to have a good paid strategy. You got to, you know, advertise where your customers actually are. So like if I've got a motorcycle brand that sells tailpipes, I don't think that I should be on Pinterest. Like just be smart and think about where your customers are with your advertising. Um, but you know, if you're selling jewelry, I think Pinterest would probably crush it for you. Like you gotta, you gotta go where they are, uh, and just be wary about your, your KPIs on kind of like your margins and what you can afford to spend to acquire a new customer. Um, but you know, if you can increase your traffic by a hundred percent is not difficult to do with doing a proper paid strategy. Uh, you can, you know, that's just going to double your sales in and of itself. But if you can increase your conversion rate and your average order value by 10 or 20%, these things are compounding. So now you're up to like 150, 200% improvements on your brand. I almost wanted to uh, applaud you there for that. That was, uh, uh, that was an experience and a half to, uh, to listen to. Uh, and I, and I wrote down a, a number of things that uh, crossed my mind as you were, as you're describing it. One of them is, is cause you know, you're, you're describing the, the process of your upsells, your cross sales, um, post-purchase 
uh, upsells as well. I was, I was hoping you would mention that too, because I wanted to hear your take on that. And, and this came to my mind, which is also one issue that I'm wondering if you've, uh, you've seen a happen where let, let's say I'm interested in purchasing a product and I'll, and I'm just going to say a face cream. Cause I think that might be a, a relevant way to characterize this example. And then by the time I've gone to checkout, there's been a number of upsells and they all seem to either be like, oh, you know, you need like the, the pre-face cream and then like the, you know, the post-face uh, wash face cream. And what ends up happening is that they've actually sold me out of the initial product because now the impression that I get is that this product is no longer all I need in order to actually have the satisfying experience that I'm looking for. Now it's like, okay, now I get it. If I, have, if I buy all of these, then I'll be in good shape. But if I miss out on even one of them, now I'm basically uh, screwed over. And I'm wondering if, if you've ever encountered a situation like that where the upsells and downsells and cross-sells um, have actually diminished the selling power of the product that they're trying to sell. I really like your example because it, it allows us to get a little more tactical on like how, how we do this. So for that particular thing, I would say that their funnel shouldn't probably be just for the, that, the singular face cream. Their funnel should be for the bundle, right? Like if you're trying to... I'm assuming you're a new customer, right? So the, the, you should have like a new customer bundle. You know, it's like you get the X, Y, the Z and like the, the scrubbing pad too. And it's a discount because you're getting them all together. That should be like your, 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 your main funnel there when you're acquiring a customer. And then over time, you just try to sell them the replacements. And then I think within kind of what you're talking about, though, like if I'm coming and I just want to have this one thing, I think the copy should be positioned in a way uh, where the awareness of of like it not being the only thing they need like should be implied. Um, but I, you know, it does come down to like very, very particular copywriting, which is unbelievably difficult and important in e-commerce. Mm-hmm. The next one that I wanted to, to to follow up on was the post purchase, and so you know we uh, we did have a conversation not too long ago about uh, about post purchasing, and what um, what my finding was the products or the offers that are being uh, marketed, you know, after somebody has converted, have to be of a specific nature. It's because if you want to have that surprise and delight, but you don't want people to feel like, well, why didn't you tell me about this sooner? I would I would have bought it sooner. And um, uh, what we found was. The, the kind of products that they sell tend to promote the lifestyle. Um, I was almost as if, if I'm committed to this, now this product will help that. And to use this an example in specific, it was say Magic Spoon, right? They're selling people on cereal. So the post-purchase upsell that they go for is a spoon in a bowl. So if somebody says, well, yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm going to buy more of this. I think I would like a, a spoon in a bowl that, that goes with it. And it helps to cement the, the lifestyle change. And that's been my finding. But I'm curious to hear about your, your finding and you know, what's really worked for the post-purchase uh, part of the funnel. I mean, so many things can work. Like Again, there's no one way to do it. Uh, I think that a fun thing that I've noticed is having a kind of a one-time offer, something with like a time limit to it. Uh, with some super, some sort of super steep discount if your margins can kind of afford it, um, you know, selling, adding one more T-shirt to a box that you're still profiting on, and not having to eat another shipping is just more profitable than selling two of the T-shirts for full price and eating the shipping. Usually, you know, another thing that I've seen, uh, you know, let's talk about face face creams and stuff is having people be like, oh, like, do you want to? These are our new product lines. You can get these samples. You can only buy these samples as 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 post purchase. You can't buy them in the store. They're only add ons. As because you've already purchased, we can add these in for dirt cheap. If you want to sample uh, these other things that we're bringing to market, um, I've seen that be super successful too. Like you know, say you're buying a thirty dollar face cream, 
Um, and they're like, Hey, like we're, you know, this is our next product line coming out. Like, do you want to test that? We have a sampler of the exfoliating thing for five bucks. You want us to throw it in? And you're usually like, yeah. So here's a, here's a crucial thing about upsells. You usually aren't going to see someone, uh, unless you're in a lower, it's like 30, $40. You can, maybe you can double the cart size. That's pretty easy to do. But if you're at $120, you're not doubling that cart size, but you can increase it like 10, 20 bucks. So you got to be thoughtful about the types of offers and products that you're putting in front of people. So if I'm buying one t-shirt and offering me to buy a bundle, like buy two, get one free, that's an easier upsell than trying to get me to, you know, buy 10 more shirts or something like that. I'm never going to do that. Um, but you know, if I'm already spending 120 bucks and you're like, Oh, like, do you want to add in a pair of boxers like for 10 bucks? Like, all right, that kind of makes sense. Uh, you gotta be kind of thoughtful about what offers you're giving for the, like the price points of your products. The, the next one I wanted to follow up on is, uh, it was the third uh, part of it, which were the, the sessions. And, and I just want to get a little more clarity on the parameters of it. So first of all, very one-on-one question, but I got to ask it, which is, you know, a session is, you know, the, the moment that they come to the website to the moment that they leave the website. That's what a session uh, entails. I know the definition exists in the back end. Like you can hover on the name, I think, of the back end of Shopify and it'll tell you what it is. But uh, off the top of my head, I believe it is unique visitors, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause, uh, because the thing that I was, um, I was interested in knowing, and I suppose um, further up on is um, how, how well you know, we're able to really discover this, whether via um, expertise or through looking at the Shopify dashboard, is the, you know, the, the activity level, the, the length of it, or even just the, the intensity of how many times they're clicking around, how often that you can see maybe somebody going to, to the FAQ page or they're checking the about page. Are they really looking around the website before they make their decision? How often you can see people are just going directly through the funnel as intended, going right to the purchase and heading out in, in, in no time flat. Is that the kind of thing that you're also, that we're also able to look at? Yeah. So I just realized I gave the wrong definition. Sessions are unique sessions. So it isn't like it isn't unique uh, customers because I usually customers are coming back two or three times before they're purchasing within it, like within a month. Um, it's like each unique, like I'm on the website now playing around, then I leave and then that's one. And then two weeks later, I come back and do it again. Like that's another session, uh, but it isn't page views. So it's not counting like every page I see. It's just the amount of times I'm interacting with the websites during that particular time frame. Within the Shopify backend, you can like see some stuff, but if you're going to nerd out on it and really dig into the weeds, like you got to get into Google Analytics. Now that Shopify has upgraded to version 2.0, we needed to make sure we were up to speed. So we've released version 4.0 to ensure that we're 100% equipped to take advantage of the 2.0 revolution. If you haven't upgraded your store, head on over. And if you haven't gotten started, now's as good time as any. Going back to, to, to the beginning of the uh, the brand scaling framework and discussing the issue that um, uh, websites have where you say, mm, you're, you know, you're better off, um, you know, starting over, you know, rebuilding it. Um, the example that stuck in my mind, because, um, you know, you, you mentioned the shower, but what stuck out to me was uh, it actually a very specific example. It reminded me of an extra neighbor we had, well, across the street neighbor that we had, had a van for years and years and years. And, you know, the longer somebody has a car or a van, the more it's going to cost to maintain it, parts become harder to acquire. But the the countervailing to that was actually the sentimental value of it and wanting to you know hold on to this car. And maybe there were some advantages to it. Uh, we're not really sure. But so this is one of the silly questions we're going to ask. But I'm, I'm I'm dying to know is that have you actually encountered this issue where there is some sort of uh, sentimental value or there is some limiting factor that keep them from wanting to agree to rebuilding it in the first place? I have, but here's here's the rub on that. It's usually with a younger brand. Uh, it's usually with someone that's like, this is my baby. I built this 
site myself. You know what I mean? That's where they have this sunk cost fallacy of like whatever they're working with. Mm-hmm. But once you kind of open their eyes to this is how the money math works out. Like, are you willing to kneecap the growth of your business because you think that this palette color palette or this navigation structure or this site design is actually good? Like once you start showing them data and it, and trying to pull it away from like, you know, feelings in towards facts, you know, it, it's definitely a little bit easier to kind of help people see the, the light of day, but here's inside baseball again, like not everyone's a great client. Not everyone is going to be like ideal to work with. And sometimes people are crazy. Like that's just, that just is what it is. Um, and then kind of uh, another thing is all these numbers that I'm talking about, uh, these KPIs, you know, you have to have data first before you can do it. So let's go back to like, I kept saying pour gas on it, right? Like let's, then we're, then we're going to go to the, then we're going to go to traffic and we're sessions. And we're going to pour gas on the fire. You don't have a fire. I'm just wasting gasoline. You know what I mean? You have to have something before you can make it better. Um, so that's something I really want people to listen to is like, if you don't actually have product market fit, if you're not getting organic sales and organic traffic, and like, if you don't have a business, spending more on Facebook ads aren't going to help. Like you need to, you need to solve that underlying problem. You need to figure out like, do people actually care about this product? And if not, why? And can you just change the positioning of it to, to, to fix you know, the perception of it? Or is there something fundamentally wrong with your product? Because it doesn't matter if you hire the best Facebook marketer in the world. If your product is trash, no one's going to buy it. So you said it was about, you know, the organic uh, traffic and the or- organic sales. And, uh, and, that, and that sticks out to me because um, what, I'm, what I'm imagining is if somebody were to focus entirely on, you know, paid traffic ads, and forgive me, I don't know if that counts as organic. I don't think it does. I think organic counts as you know, activity, community involvement, word of mouth, even having, say, you know, an Instagram profile, having a Facebook profile. So how would you compare the... Um, the necessity of the organic traffic and the organic organic sales versus the 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 paid ad traffic and the paid ad sales is it a matter of I mean again I'm sure this is a case by case basis but I'm I'm imagining that what you really want to see is that the traction that they're reaching for is is sticking and people are, are sticking around and there's and there's momentum being built in that organic way yeah and this is definitely something that I'm sure other people disagree with on disagree with me on but is I don't think it is a good idea to try to build a brand with paid media being like your main pillar of growth because it is so expensive. Facebook is expensive, especially now with the iOS crap that like it's hard to really know what's going on. It's a lot of gut and trust now. Your marketing strategy is to make it work on Facebook and Instagram ads. I like I think you're going to go bankrupt. Honestly, I think there are smarter ways to do it these days. And usually my advice to people is like, don't spend a dollar on paid traffic until you made a hundred thousand dollars. Like literally. Like that seems like a giant number, but it's only 10 grand a month. You can do that through community, through Instagram, through you know, organic stuff. You know, I think another unutilized channel, people often skip straight to Facebook and Instagram when they could probably just take that same budget and investment and just go see the influencers. Like that is gonna just gangbusters. It's gonna go so much better for you. Actually, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm happy to hear that, and it's funny because it, it you know it ties into what we we're discussing earlier. You know, we do get um, a lot of we got a lot of variants of opinions, even for my own for my own sake. I, I I can spend all day naming my limiting factors. Lord knows I'm not hurting for them. But what I what I appreciate about this is the relationship between wanting to have that or you know that organic momentum 
has to come from a you know a business that really means what it says and a product that um, that is out there to, to to solve problems. Even going back to basics, really, the first things that people can do is you know go, go to influencers, um, have, you know work on their their social media profile. Would you say those are really like the the beginning building blocks, or have you noticed an even more basic step one? I've I've interviewed brands on the podcast that they went into like Reddit forums or Facebook groups and were just talking to people about the problem that their product solved and organically were like, well, maybe this would help you. Like, And that's how they got their first 10,000 customers. It's super expensive to do Facebook. And especially when you're a small brand, you probably don't know how to do Facebook and Instagram that well yourself. And you cannot afford someone that actually knows how to do it. So you're just going to end up working with someone that's lying to you and they're going to make the money and you're going to spend money on no results. So with um, people who are going onto Reddit and are having those conversations, uh, again, this is one of those case by case things, but are they, say, using their their brand name as their as their uh, user profile, or are they actually just going on as themselves and just saying, hey, but you know, you can yeah. do either or. People want to buy from people, and like you don't have to like try to pull the wool over someone's eyes, be like, hey, like I, no no nonsense here. Like I this is my brand, but like I think this could solve your problem. Like if you have any questions, I'm here to answer them. Honestly, in that zero to one stage is when you do the things that will not scale. And that's having real conversations with real people about your product and getting real-time feedback. And that's going to allow you to iterate on your messaging, on your offer, on your product to really help you get to that next level. But that, that's amazing. I mean, that's uh, that's definitely a huge takeaway uh, for myself too. And it, it speaks to this through line where you know it seems like no matter how many people I talk to, there's always going to be a new approach or a new angle to, to explore this with. So there was one more thing that I wanted to ask. And this is by far the silliest one out of the bunch, uh, which was you, you had described that some of the people have like 12 review apps. And I don't know how much of that was exaggeration or how much of that was actually like, yes, that actually is how many. I don't even know that there's 12 review apps on Shopify, honestly. But speaking about the the overall issue here is what exactly happens to, to somebody that drives them to, I mean, I can see like installing a number of apps. Each one does fulfills a, a specific role, but there's starting to be like an overlap where, you know, one is like UGC, but it leans into reviews, whereas another is UGC, but it leans into like, I don't know, um, uh, imagery and they start to overlap. But to pick out multiple apps that are all doing the same things, what was the logic going through their mind at the time? I can only make assumptions, but okay. uh, we have we have definitely audited some websites where they had 30, 40, 60 apps installed, some of them doing the same thing. And it's because people don't know what they don't know. Most of the time, uh, founders are creative people. They are passionate about solving their problem, the problem that their product solves. They're not technical people. They're not e-commerce experts. They're not advertisers. They're not marketers. They don't know what they don't know. right? So uh, Shopify does a great job of like marketing this idea of there's an app for that. An app will solve that problem. But they don't tell you like that the second you install an app, it installs another JavaScript call to your website that inherently slows down your, your theme. And they also don't tell you that when you press uninstall, that only thing that happens is that app loses access to your store. That code is still in your theme and it's still slowing your site down and that call still exists. So every time you install an app, you are slowing your site down. I wish there was a big red button that says, are you sure this will slow your website down? Right? Mm -hmm. There should be, but there isn't. There's free trials for all these apps. So they're like testing three or four apps to see which one they like. And then they settle on it. Uh, not knowing that they've got four times the amount of code doing the same thing, oftentimes conflicting with each other and also making any developer's life a nightmare down the line when you're trying to fix or QA some issue. 
Um, so I think it just kind of goes with, you know, they're not technical. They don't know what they don't know. And they didn't realize that it was causing an issue. Um, so, uh, I believe there's a second part of your question that I I'm kind of drawing a blank on. Uh, no, that, 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 that more or less, uh, I, I think summarized it and actually, and then some, um, because I think for some people who even gone so far as to realize, okay, this is getting redundant. They remove it. The, the lingering effects of that are still, are still, uh, impacting the website. And I think that's a pretty important takeaway. And I would, that's, that's one for me as well. Yeah. And here's another, just to let you know, uh, if you're listening to this and be like, that sounds like me, I should probably hire someone to get rid of all that code. That is the worst job in the world and nobody wants to do it. And they're probably going to say, we should probably just start over. All right. Well, well Chase, uh, the clock is ticking. Uh, I don't have you for very much longer. Um, I've, I've enjoyed um, the, the conversation so far. There is uh, one last thing that I wanted to, to talk about. This is one of the, um, uh, the bits of material that uh, you shared, one of the questions that I get to ask. Uh, and I'm glad I do, because uh, I think this is going to be a fun one to wrap up with. But um, you, you talk about imposter syndrome. And, you know, that, that's, that, that's an issue that I think each, uh, each person faces. I've talked to some people, they've gotten to like the seven figure range, the eight figure range, and they still have that guttural anxiety about, you know, what am I doing? Uh, I'm not, I'm not secure. I'm taking a massive risk. So what is it, what is it to you? And, you know, how has it affected, you know, what you do and what you're up to? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm on this podcast, just shooting from the hip saying the things I believe, but you know, I could be wrong. Like I, who knows, man? I don't know. I've just done this enough and I've got the gift of da- gab. I, like, I try to believe in myself, but you know, sometimes I wake up like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I'm running a business. I am responsible for a lot of people's livelihoods. Got a lot of team members. It, it's scary. Uh, you know, but that's kind of comes with the entrepreneurship thing is, you know, your, your appetite for risk. You know, if you have that and you are willing to kind of bet on yourself, you're going to have some amazing success in life, but I don't, I don't think that the, the kind of like uh, imposter syndrome ever goes away. Um, you know, we still deal with it at me and my partner founders. Like I know people steps ahead of me that are also like, yeah, I'm just, I'm still doing it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why they're letting me do it, but here we are. Yeah. I mean, you know, just to bring it back to the, the, the meta, the meta nature of what I talked about in the beginning, you know, even, even for me, you know, so far feedback has been pretty good. Like I've had, you know, I've had a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm actually really, really, really happy with the, uh, with the interview that you, that you did today. And I'm like, thanks. But by the time the next interview rolls around, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm out of my, I'm out of my mind. I can't do this. Oh, 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 he's here. He's here. He didn't cancel. So I, I, I go through it each time. And one thing that uh, stuck and that helped out is, you know, one, one guest said, you know, the day you stop being nervous is the day you're going to move on to a new career. Because I think that the, those, those fears and those concerns, they speak to, someone who uh cares and who actually has uh, has has meaning and, and and wants us to work and yeah and you know it's if i have to choose between two mindsets which is a uh oh, oh my god oh my god oh my god and then b oh my god i think i'm gonna go with a oh absolutely i i mean i think uh the one thing that kind of helps with imposter syndrome is like once you kind of do it a couple of times it becomes second nature and you get a little less nervous about it um but yeah i think you know waking up every day and like having that hunger to learn and to do better. And you're always striving to be better. I think in Ponder, and that's, that's a cool thing about it is you don't believe that you're good enough. So you strive to learn and to be better. And I, yeah, I would agree. Like once that fire is gone, maybe you should think about doing something else, something else that intrigues you. Well, I, I think that's a, that's as good a place to wrap it up. I know I got to uh, let you on out of here. Um, so uh, final thing to, to our audience it's a two-part question. One, if you have like a Chinese proverb or like a piece of advice or a parting wisdom you'd like to share, you're welcome to share it. 
and then let the audience know how they can uh, look into what you do, check out your content and check out your podcast. I've uh, listened to it myself and uh, I, I quite enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Uh, there is a, a little piece of advice and I'm literally drawing the blank on it. And I, I do believe it's like a Chinese or a Japanese proverb, or maybe it has something to do with the Toyota way. Anyways, 1% better every day is like, just, just try, just work on it. Just, just keep iterating on it. Just keep going. Like you're never going to build that amazing business overnight. But like, if you sit down and you concept out like one piece of it one afternoon and the next day start working on names or something like that, like you will get there eventually. So just try to do 1% of whatever the goal is every day. And then you've done three extra goal in one year. The next thing is where the heck do I exist on the internet? Um, you can listen to more of my ranting and raves on our podcast. Uh, it's honestecommerce.co. Uh, we put out a podcast every Tuesday, usually interviewing brand founders. Um, and then if you think that you might be a good client to work with Electric Eye, you can check us out at electriceye.io. Uh, you can just schedule an intro call with me. I'm the actual guy you talk to. Uh, we can chat about it. Fantastic. Well, uh, it just so happened that I had seen that method that uh, you had talked about. I saw it like on YouTube two days ago. It was called Kaizen. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's about, yeah, 1% each day. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm a decent multitasker. So I open up YouTube in the corner to be like, okay, right, Kaizen. Yep, yeah, that's the one. All right. Well, uh, that's all that we've got for today. So to my audience, uh, as always, it is an honor and a privilege to collect this information, use it for my own benefit, and then share it with all of you as well. So, Thank you all for your participation. And uh, Chase, th thanks for, for your time today. There's, uh, there's some stuff here that really stuck out to me. So uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot for me to take away. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for, for being here. All the best to our audience. Take care. And we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>